You're listening to the Bird Dog Babe podcast. In this bonus series of Whiskey and Wild Hairs, Katie Willis shares her story titled, If It Doesn't Get You Arrested, It Might Get You Killed. Patreon patrons of the Bird Dog Babe podcast joined us for this recording on Friday night. And the live, unedited version recording of this episode is available on patreon.com forward slash the bird dog babe. That version goes about 40 minutes longer and includes some great conversation and info about Girl Scrouse Camp in Montana this fall, which patrons will get first dibs on when the registration opens. Katie Willis, Amanda Ponte, and I will be attending Pheasant Fest this weekend. We're planning to go to the Upland Rally on Friday night, the Women on the Wing luncheon, and the banquet on Saturday night. I'll also be working the Purina Pro Plan booth and Project Upland booth and taking in the great opportunities to watch, listen, and learn from all of the offerings the event is providing. I hope to meet and chat with several of you there. All right, let's get after it. Welcome to another episode of Whiskey and Wild Hairs with Katie Willis as our narrator. Tonight's topic is, if it doesn't get you arrested, it might get you killed. Did I say that right or was it backwards? No, I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. We are going to announce our whiskeys here in a second, but this is our first time that we're doing a live recording with uh, the Patreon group. And we have some some fun people here tonight. I'm I'm pretty excited to have a group that we can all get in on the laughs and the beverages together. So thank you guys for joining us. Um, Tonight, my choice is Screwball. It's a peanut butter whiskey. I've never had a peanut butter whiskey. Um, It was one of those, I grabbed it, I put it back on the shelf. I I went through that motion about three times and I just like, screw it, I'm going for it. Screwball, we're gonna try it. If I vomit, I do have a little area right here I can do it in. Um, but Katie Willis, what do you got pouring in your glass tonight? Um, I am this evening drinking Henry McKenna, a 10-year bottled in bond Kentucky bourbon. Um, it is a Kentucky straight bourbon. Uh, there's a lot of information on this label that I thought I would go through just because say you're new to whiskey and you're interested in trying to find a good one. Um, there's, uh, as with anything, there's a lot of labels. Some of the labels used to mean a lot more than they do. Um, but they can still give you clues as to what, um, you know, if you're trying to find a good whiskey, this is a really nice whiskey because it hits a pretty nice price point. I think it's like a $40 or so bottle, um, which is a nice entry level bourbon for someone who wants to try it out. Um, it is made in Kentucky. Uh, this label bottled in bond is interesting because it used to be a lot more common to see. It is a very special specific certification. Uh, a bottled in bond whiskey has to be the product of a single season. So like the same year, um, it has to be, um, a sink, like basically a single batch, um, at a, at the same distillery. You can't put it, have it at two distilleries and it has to be done by the same distiller. There's actually a stamp where the federal government stamps the warehouse that says that it's bottled in bond and they have to be, I think, inspected or checked like every four years before they can get that certification. Um, And so it's just kind of like a way of saying on the bottle, like we spent a lot of time on this shit. I do like 
aged bourbons. Um, they tend to be smoother and mellower. Um, oh, and a bottled and bond whiskey also has to hit exactly a hundred proof. Can't be 99. It can't be 101. It's got to be exactly a hundred proof. And um, so I like an aged bourbon just because a, I think that if you're going to take the time to age a bourbon and sit on it for 10 years, you're not putting crap in the barrel when you start, right? Like that would be a waste of everybody's time. Um, and then it does seem to mellow out a little bit of the um, the alcohol, which is the part that makes you make a face, right? So um, <laughs> we want to be very smooth when we sip our whiskey. So we don't want to find something that makes us make a face. Um, it is a very smooth whiskey. When I was first sipping it, I had this kind of like creamy. I was like, ah, whiskey isn't creamy. So I'm going to say that it's a little buttery. Um, like it has kind of a buttery, softer feel to it. A lot of vanilla, um, a little bit of almost like a cinnamon, I feel. Um, and so it is, it's a really nice bourbon. Um, I am enjoying it very much. Uh, and so um, I encourage you to try it if you're interested in getting into bourbons. So here's to Henry McKenna, bourbon and bird dogs, wild hairs and whiskey. Cheers. Oh. Ooh, I didn't have to vomit. That was a pleasant surprise. And actually Amanda had told me that this was good and she's right. I'm having it um, on, on ice tonight. And clearly Katie's a far more uh, bigger kind of sewer of whiskey than I am. I'm not doing my company's justice <laughs> that I, that I um, taste. And that's because I'm still a novice to the whole whiskey game. And I like the flavored stuff. Um, but so I can't give an amazing review except for that's delicious. I really like the label. I think that's adorable. Screwball's the name. Uh, it says to the misfits, black sheep, and screwballs. So seems very fitting. It seems very it, fitting. It does. Yeah, because I like it. So tell us what we are going to be talking about tonight, Katie. Get us get so, us started. Well, so we've talked about this before. Um, bird dogs. Um, one of the things you're looking for is drive, right? And uh, everyone wants a bird dog that gets out there, pounds the cover, covers the terrain, is relentless. But there's a flip side of that. And that is that um, you are not hunting 24 seven and that drive can get you into a lot of trouble. And uh, obviously there are ways to manage that. Um, it's one of the reasons that I always encourage people um, who have a hunting breed, whether it's a bird dog breed or even hounds or any other hunting type dog is you have to be part of the game, right? Like if you have a dog that has drive to hunt and you don't hunt, they're going to be hunting without you. Um, like I had a friend whose wife adopted a rescue beagle um, and it was a nightmare and he was asking me about it. And I was like, that dog's going to hunt whether you're hunting with it or not. So you should probably start participating. And he did. And they started chasing rabbits and the relationship, you know, like all aspects of the relationship came together. And so, you know, that's just that drive. Right. And so it's going to happen whether you're hunting, if you do hunt, if you don't hunt, if you are in season, if you're out of season, uh, a bird dog is going to bird dog. And um, so obviously e-callers are super helpful. <laughs> <laughs> and 
um, if you lend your bird dog out to somebody or someone offers to walk your bird dog, you really should make sure that they know how to use and are comfortable with the remote control. Um, which I did when I moved with, in with my sister. So I lived with my sister during PA school and I lived in her basement and she had a dog. Actually, we should have a little cheers. Hanks, my sister's a wonderful, lovely Labrador crossed the rainbow bridge a week ago. And, um, to Hanks, to Hanks, to Hanks. So she was very generous and she was like, well, teach me how to walk the bird dog and I will um, take him out when you're in class. Um, she's a, she at that point in time was an ER nurse and she worked this like, I think it was like 11 to 11 shift. So I would leave for school and she would get up in the morning and she'd take these dogs down to this really great um, natural area outside of Billings called um, Norm's Island. It's uh, about a mile long island out in the Yellowstone River. It's pretty wide and it's covered in all of these different walking paths. So if you just walk around the outside, you're gonna do a two mile loop, but you can kind of squirrel all over the place in there and you can let dogs off leash, which is really phenomenal. So, so she would take bird dog down there and it was pretty early in our living together. Like we probably hadn't even been together a month and uh, I had an exam and so, you know, it was one of those, like, you got to check everything at the locker. It was an anatomy exam. So you had to go in and walk around the, um, the, the cadaver and do some identification and do your, your lab. So I don't have my phone on me and you're only in there for like 30, 40 minutes. And so I come out from the, my test and there are like 30 text messages and like 25 phone calls. Like you've missed 25 calls and they're all for my sister. And I'm like, Oh shit. Right. Like what has happened? I don't even look at any of the messages. And, uh, I just call, I'm like, Amy, Amy, what's going on? And she goes, bird dog has a duck and he won't let me have it. And I'm like, <laughs> okay is he running around? She's like, no, he's sitting in front of me. I'm like, okay. She's like, we have been here for 20 minutes. He has the duck. The duck is blinking at me. He won't let go of the duck. I'm like, okay. And she goes, I called every one of my friends that have dogs and they told me what to say. And no matter what I say, he doesn't let go of the duck. He won't drop it. He won't give. He won't release. He won't do anything. He's just sitting there with this duck and the duck is blinking at me. I'm like, okay, Amy. <laughs> Reach so, he's, so he has it soft enough that it's still alive, but, yeah. but a good enough grasp where she couldn't get, take it from him. Well, he wouldn't let go. Like she tried to grab the bird out of his mouth and he wouldn't like release tension. <laughs> and the duck is blinking at my sister, like, help me, help me, like, blinking at my sister. And probably, like, me, 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 Yeah, yeah, like, she's <laughs> in a public park, right? Like, like, if someone came by, and it's an Audubon natural area, there's a lot of birders out there. There are plenty of people that walk down there that would not at all be impressed to come upon a woman yelling commands at a dog who's holding a live duck, right? And so I'm like, okay, Amy, take a deep breath. It's okay. Reach down, put your hand on the duck, look him right in the eye and say, thank you. 
And she's like, what? I was like, say thank you. And so she reaches down, puts the hand on the duck, looks him in the eye and says, thank you. And he goes, ah, and just opens his mouth and lets the duck go. So you have to teach people the code words. I did not even <laughs> occur to me. It's such a unique code work. It, it's very, it makes a lot of sense. And it's pretty amazing that instead of saying give, drop, you say thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I very much appreciate that you would do this. I actually learned that from my friend, Melissa, who was my original training partner. And she was just like, why would you say something that's hard or sharp or, you know, aggressive when what you're really trying to express is gratitude? And I'm like, that makes sense. So thank you. Um, so if you're ever around my dogs and they have a bird and you want it back, it's thank you. Anyhow, so, so she, now she's got a duck. She's got a live duck in her hand. And she's like, what do I do? He's jumping around in front of me. Like he's super excited. And I was like, okay, well, make him sit, tap him on the head and tell him to go find another one. And she's like, I don't want him to find another one. <laughs> I'm like, I know, no, I know, I know. But he's not going to, I was like, tuck the duck behind your back and tell him to go find another one. And he'll take off. And once he's kind of, you know, 40, 50 yards away, sneak back down to the water and put that perfectly intact duck back in the water and walk away as fast as you can. And she did. And, and it all worked out. And um, Your poor sister. <laughs> my poor sister. My poor sister. I had another friend. Um, I am not a runner. I hate running. I always joke that like there's people, you know, the bumper stickers that say like 13.1 and 26.2 um, on their cars uh, to, to designate whether they're a half or full marathoner. And I always say that I should have a bumper sticker that's like 0.5 with the silhouette of a bear. Like I would like to run about a half a mile, but only if there was like a bear chasing me. <laughs> Um, but I try repeatedly to run because it's good fitness. And I was out on a run one time and, uh, with some, with some, with one good girlfriend who knew bird dog and one person that I didn't really know at all. And they were runners. And so they were well ahead of me when bird dog caught a Canadian goose oh and gosh. caught this Canadian goose, got a perfect wing lock on it. And I was behind them and I saw geese get up, which is always like, a shit moment, you know, when you know where the dog is and the birds get up and I'm like, oh my God. So now I'm trying to run as fast as I can, which we've already run like four miles. It's not very fast. And I hear screaming, like I hear my friends screaming and see bird dog coming running down the trail with this goose in the perfect wing lock. And the goose's head is like a snake trying to like equalize the terrain as bird dog is like charging down to me. And then I do the same thing, right? Like I say, thank you. I tell him to go find another one. I put the perfectly not a feather out of place goose back in the river. And I run to catch up with my friends the whole time, sort of like really anxious about what this woman who does not know bird dog is going to think about the situation where my dog just caught a bird. And I, I, I come cruising up and she looks at me, I'm like, <gasps> and she goes, wow. He really is a bird dog. <laughs> yeah, that really is. Like, yeah, he really is a bird dog. Um, and so, yeah, so there's, it's, it's that drive, right? And so 
back to you, I hate running, but I did it more in PA school just to try to stay, keep fitness. And, uh, we had left for Christmas vacation and there was no snow and no ice. And we came back in January and there was snow and ice. Um, but I went to my first class, you know, got to class, did my stuff, had like my first, it was, it must've been either the weekend or like a day off or something. And I go for a run out at Norm's. And as I run the first loop, I see that the entire Yellowstone River, which is a really big river at that point in time, is frozen over, except for at the very top of the island where the water is really fast. There's probably, it's probably about 10 or 15 feet wide and maybe 30 or 40 feet long stretch of, um, of open water where there's a lot of current. And uh, I see it. And I think, mm, yeah, we can't run out here anymore if there's open water, but I'm feeling actually pretty good. And so I decide to do a second lap. And as I'm kind of coming up the side of the island, I see a pair of ducks coming in and I start yelling for bird dog, right? Like, come on, like bird dog, bird dog. I'm yelling at him. And, uh, and, and, and I get up there and kind of just as I get up there, I see the ducks get up again and I scramble through the brush out to the river and they're clinging to the edge of the ice about halfway down the open section is a little black bird dog and he just has his claws his front claws just dug into the ice and you can see that the current is tugging at him and he's you know trying to get up trying to get out and uh I'm like come on buddy come on buddy I'm not coming out on that ice and uh and he's like, oh, and he's kind of almost got his like back foot up on the ice and he just pulls up and he's just about got it. And he slips and he falls back in the water and he completely disappears from view. No way. You know, the heart of your that lives in your chest comes up to the place of your throat. And so you can't breathe to scream. And he pops up. But now he's like only about. 30 feet from where the river disappears forever under the ice. And he's back to claws on the ice, right? Like he's just got the claws on the ice. And I'm like, okay. So I strip off. I don't take my clothes off. I leave my clothes on, but I take like my cell phone and all that sort of stuff. And I leave it on the bank. Cause I'm like, well, at least they'll know where I went in the water. Right. Like, and I go out on my belly and I'm, I'm kind of swimming across this ice and it's pretty thick. It's like opaque. It's thick. It actually feels pretty solid and I'm cruising out. But as I get closer and closer to where he is, the ice starts getting clear and thin and, and I can feel the vibration of the water, the under the ice on my chest. Like I can feel it on my chest and I get out just to him and I stretch my hand out and I get like one little finger, one tiny little finger underneath his collar. And I'm just kind of holding him tension. And I wait until he tries to go for another pull. And when he goes for another pull, I just pull and he pops up out. And now he's like super excited, you know, like he's got like basically past bat post bath time zoomies, right? Like he's like zooming all around and I'm on the, I'm on my belly. So he's like jumping over the top of me and like, squirreling all around and I'm like good fuck dude like we gotta get I'm like trying to get back to the thicker ice 
we get back to the thicker ice and i'm like this is ridiculous like like you almost got killed like anybody who grows up in montana in a winter place knows that you never go out on ice like you don't go out on ice unless you know that it's ice fishing time but you don't like go out on icy rivers like this is just bad and he's just running especially when there's open water yeah like Mm. we know that the ice is not thick because there's a place where there is no ice right i'm done running i just am like fuck this i'm walking back to the truck (laughs) and he's just tearing off all around like he's the most amazing thing and he finds a dead skunk and he rolled in a dead rotten skunk did you quit your running career after that point that was pretty much it like (laughs) like this is a bad idea nothing good ever comes of this also it hurts i don't know you know people who are runners more power to you but I am a solid woman. I am descended from peasant people. My physiology is designed to carry heavy objects over uneven terrain for long periods of time. I'm not fast. Um, I just, but I can do that. Like you put a pack on my back, you give me some uneven terrain all day, all day, but I'm not a runner, no running. So, um, so I'm like, that's it. We're never we're never going out on the ice again. And we've just got to be a lot more careful about where we go, when we go. And I've got to keep a closer eye on you because you just are unrelenting in this bird dog pursuit. Mm -hmm. And so we have a few good years with like zero incidents where we almost get arrested for harassing wildlife. As I've tried to explain to him like a multitude of time, the difference between hunting and harassment is that I have to shoot the bird first, right? Like, if you haven't shot the bird, you really, you know, so, but he's, he doesn't follow that logic very well. So we have a few good years where there's like no incidents, right? Like we're not catching birds. We're not making displays of ourselves in public places. Um, and then we have probably about five years ago, um, my family meets at the Oregon coast for a um, uh, Thanksgiving, right? So it's Thanksgiving. We're at the Oregon coast. Um, if you've ever been to, if you've never been to the Oregon coast, you should definitely go, but I'll tell you right now, it is not a place that you pack a bikini for, right? It's not the Oregon beach. We don't have the Oregon beach. It's rarely sunny. It's usually blowing a hundred miles an hour wind, um, 30 degrees, right? Like it's just like a cold, rugged, rocky waves crashing coast. Mm-hmm. But my best friend is also now living in the same town where he, we met in PA school and now his first job, he's working there. And so I'm hanging out with my family, but I'm also making time for my buddy, John. And so it's the Friday after Thanksgiving and it is an outstanding day on the coast, right? Like there's not a breath of wind. It's like 70 degrees. It's sunny. It's gorgeous. The tide is low. Um, and so we're walking on this stretch of beach that is about seven miles long, hard packed sand. And there must be 500 people out there. I mean, there's a million people out there and we're walking along, John and I, you know, we've got our shoes in our, in our hands and uh, bird dogs running all over the place. And he's chasing all these shorebirds and he gets like a long way away from us. And, uh, and there's a group of, 
of shorebirds. And in the middle of that group of shorebirds is a big, big brown seagull. And he goes tearing into it and the shorebirds get up and the seagull seems like whatever, you know, he doesn't, the seagull doesn't get up. And I'm like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. He's going to get that bird. Like he's going to catch that seagull. And John's like, no, he's not. He's not going to catch that seagull. And like when he was younger, he had this amazing closing distance. Like if a foot race started between him and any other creature and there was like a three to four foot, like from the moment that the jets got turned on for either creature, if there was a three to four foot gap, he caught it every time. Like he just had this closing speed. He just was so fast, so fast. And right now he needs to go out to go to the bathroom. So I'm going to let him out. Yeah, go for it. I thought I heard some whining. Well, we just, we just had dinner. And so, you know, once you have dinner, sometimes it gets some things going. Yep. Things. So he's got, he's got this closing speed and he's like, and I'm like, I'm like, there's only like three or four feet between him and this gull and the gull hasn't started flying. And you know what they're like, right? Like, it's like really it slow and huge, huge. And, uh, and he grabs this gull. And it's the tumble right into the surf. Like the waves are coming up and it's just like, right. And he pops up and he's got the goal. And John's like, oh shit. Like there are a million people watching. And I'm like, yeah, there are a million people watching who are all probably calling the police right now. And um, Johnny goes, maybe he'll drop it. And I was like, yeah, fat chance, right? Like fat chance he's going to drop that goal. That's the biggest damn bird he's ever caught. He's proud of it. And he gets that goal and he wheels around and starts running at a full sprint straight back to us. Like there's no question to whom that wild, reckless seagull catching dog belongs to because he is (laughs) beelining it straight to us. And he didn't get a wing lock. So the goal has managed to get all seven feet of its wings out and is trying to fly. And so I wish that I would have a video of this. I have an image right here. <laughs> because you can't see his head and you really can't see his best. There's just these like spindly black legs, like um, a senator, if a senator was a horse and a seagull as opposed to a horse and a man. And he is like running down the beach with this seagull trying to, you know, and then like hits a sliding stop a quarter horse would be proud of right in front of us and parks that goal. <laughs> Which Thank is, of you. course, snapping at me, right? Like it's snapping at me. So I'm like trying to get all seven feet of the wings tucked in the beak not there all while like making eye contact and being ready to say thank you (laughs) thank you so much for this and um and Johnny's like oh my god what do I do I was like grab that dog by the collar and put him on a heel and start walking back to your place as fast as you possibly can right now so he grabs bird dog puts him on a heel starts walking back I check the goal out as best as I can again 
there's not a drop of blood. There's not a feather out of place. Like the goal is perfectly intact. I just put it down and I walked away fast, like super, super, super fast, super fast. Wow. Like, yeah, it's just drive, right? Like it's just drive. Yeah, and um, you can't control it. You can't control it. And the best that you can do is get it to want to work with you, like to get that drive to want to be with you so that at least he wasn't like shaking that seagull to pieces and like throwing it in the air like a stuffed toy, right? At least it's like, it's very clean. Um, and so, yeah, so then we kind of go back to like, okay, we got to keep a close eye on you. And, you know, he gets older, you know, he's, he stops being as quick. The foot races aren't, you know, aren't as good. So, you know, it's kind of like this nice thing of, uh, of like, oh, well maybe like, maybe like, I hate that you've slowed down, but I love that we don't have this, these interactions anymore. Um, and for the longest time, I mean, his exploits and the things that he did, um, when he was in pursuit or running around, I often really wondered if I would ever have an old dog, you know, um, and uh, whether or not I would actually get to the point in time where I would have just an old dog and have to make old dog decisions, it never seemed like a reality. Uh, mm -hmm. Sort of, I guess, how people thought of me in high school. Like no one really actually thought that I was going to make 18. So they were all pleasantly surprised. Um, and then again, pleasantly surprised when 25 rolled around and they're like, damn. Um, and so when, when I hit 30, people were like, wow, we would have never expected that you would have made it here. Um, and I think I didn't either. I think it's one of the reasons that I didn't go to school earlier is I was like, why would I spend all this time in school? Like, I don't think I'm going to live to see 30. Like shit is just happens to me. Shit doesn't happen to me. I happen to shit, but you know, like decisions, you know, it's not, I'm not innocent in the situations I get myself in, but, um, but yeah, so I was like, oh, we got this old dog. Oh, we're going to start having like old dog conversations and old dog decisions. And, you know, there was a little bit of like heartbreak with that, but there was also like relief, like, okay, well, we're not gonna, um, you're not going to die. Like, you're not going to die. Um, in some horrible, tragic fashion, and we're going to be okay. And uh, I will say right now, I'm about to tell a story. And if mom, you might want to turn this part off. Because mom listens. <laughs> mom does listen. Um, she does feel like I should clean up the swears, and I am trying. Um, yeah. She and, said it was very colorful. Um, but She's very colorful. Mom listed it as Jan Persia's review of the great raccoon wars of 2010 was very colorful. Um, uh, cheers to you, mom. You're a hell of a lady. Is mom. <laughs> she raised a great daughter. She did. She did. Apples and trees, man. Apples and trees, you know? Um, what? So, Revert back. What does that mean? Well, you know what they say about apples and trees. No but apples don't fall far from the tree. Okay. <laughs> Those apples don't fall far from the tree. And that's what they say about apples and trees. So got yeah. it. Pretty Heard that one. Yeah. Pretty spectacular mother. Pretty spectacular yeah. mother. Um, I'm gonna drink to her again. Okay. And then turn off right here, mom. Hit stop. Yeah.
So I love to play hockey. I love playing hockey. Um, it's actually how I ended up. My new my new accessory are these crutches. So um, I, I, I busted myself up playing hockey. So now I'm on crutches, which is not super fun for anybody. But um, I love playing hockey. And uh, if you play hockey, one of the holy grails of hockey is pond hockey. Like there's just something about playing pond hockey that is really, really, really fun. Um, I played hockey a little bit. I didn't start playing hockey until I was like, 37 or 38 didn't start. I think I started skating when I was 37 and then started playing hockey the next year and I was enjoying it. And then we had a really hard freezing winter and some guys that I was playing with, like, were like, Oh, you should come out to this pond um, out East of town. And we went out there and I skated for like five or six hours. It was amazing. It was glorious. And, and we just don't have that cold of winters here in Bend. And so it's a pretty rare thing. And so three years ago, we'd had a bit of a cold snap end of January, early February, and people at the rink kept talking about whether or not Reynolds had frozen, like had Reynolds froze, froze, had anyone been out to Reynolds, um, like, was it skatable? And so it was like Saturday afternoon, one of these other ladies that I play hockey with and a couple of her friends whom I didn't know, um, decided that we were going to go out and check it out. So we take our skates, we take our hockey gear, I take the bird dog and we head out to this pond and it's a pretty big pond. It's like a nice big pond and it's got a couple islands um, on what would be the sort of southeast side of it. So you pull up to it um, from, you know, you come at it, you come you, on the west side of it and we get out there and there's a ton of geese and there's no ice. It's like, there's no ice. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh man, we can't, we can't play hockey. And I was like, well, we might as well just drink a beer and like walk around, you know, there's like a walking path around. And so we just start walking around and we're talking and having like a nice time. And, uh, the, it's kind of got a weird little, it almost, I bet if you looked at it from above, I bet it looks like a comma. So there's kind of the head that you park at and then this little tail, and then you tuck up into the underside on the Southeast side where there's these islands. And uh, so we're walking around there and we get down past the bottom of the comma and come back up and tucked in that little sheltered area between the, the shore and the islands, there's ice. And um, we come around the corner and not only is there ice, but about 40 yards out, there is a bird dog in a hole in the ice. And he's swimming around this little hole in the ice. And there's only like three or four feet between that and the 100% open water. But there's like 40 yards from the shore. And, I'm, you know, it's that shit moment. And he's, again, trying to get up on the ice, but it's like breaking underneath him. It's too thin. He's like trying to get up on it and it breaks and trying to get up on it and it breaks. And my friend Kirsten is like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm not going out there. I've been out there on the ice with him one time before. And I swore that I would never go out on the ice again. And so he's either going to make it or he's not. But I am not going out on that ice. I have already said that. I made a declaration. We've done this once before. I'm not going out on that ice. And they were like, well, do you think you could get him to swim across? And I'm like, that's too far. Like, even if I went around and tried to get him to like, get out into the main area, there's too much pond, right? 
Like he's focused on the shore that I'm on, which is 40 yards away. The shore that would be through the open water is like a hundred yards. So he's not going to do that. And so there I'm like, I'm just going to keep yelling at him. Maybe he'll break enough ice. He'll get to a thicker spot. He'll be able to get out. My friends are like, okay, well, there was a, there's like a little campground over there. We're going to go see if anybody has a boat. I'm like, excellent idea. So they take off. It's like three 30, four o'clock in the afternoon. So it's starting to get a little dusky and um, I'm just, yeah, Berta, come on, buddy. Come on, buddy. Come on, buddy. You can make it. You can make it. And um, at one point in time, they were like, one of the, the guys that was there, he's a, he's a doctor. And he was like, should we call the, should we call 911? And I'm like, they're not going to come out here for a dog, right? Like they're not going to come out here for a dog. Why would they come out here for a dog? Like it's just a dog. They don't know who he is. And so I'm calling for him and calling for him and I'm by myself on the shore and it turns out it is absolutely impossible to watch your dog drown. It is physically heartbreakingly impossible to watch your dog drown. And so he's been out there for probably five to 10 minutes. He's not trying to get on the ice anymore. And the circles he's swimming around are getting smaller and smaller and like his head is he's not holding his head up as high and uh I'm like fuck I gotta go and so I do I strip off not totally naked I get down to my brown my brown underwear and I leave I don't know why I left my like beanie hat on and I start breaking ice and it's not a super deep pond so the first you know 15 feet or so I'm just stomping through like thigh deep water and ice and mud and muck and I'm just like breaking ice and breaking ice and breaking ice and I get about waist deep and it starts getting a little harder and I turn around and I go back to shore and I like do some jumping jacks I'm like okay I've got to get some you know slapping my legs and I'm doing jumping jacks and I start heading back out again. And that's about the time that my friends show back up again. And they're like, there's no boat. And I'm like, that's okay. I'm going to go get him. And so I get out and I'm now I'm kind of like belly deep and I'm breaking ice with my forearms and it's getting harder and harder to do that. Like the ice is actually getting a little bit thicker. And so I'm like, sweet, maybe the ice is actually thick enough from here out to there that I can get on my belly and do the thing that worked last time where I supermaned. And, uh, So I hop up on my belly and I start otter sliding out across the ice and I get about 10 feet and I break through on the other side. I'm like straight into the water. And now it's like neck deep. Like I can touch my toes, but it's like neck deep. And so I keep moving towards the dog and I'm so close. Like I'm so close. And his little head is just like, you know, um, and, uh, and I'm, but I'm like, I, I now can't move my arms. Like I can't, I'm so cold. I cannot move my arms. And so I turn around to try to get back to shore and I get back to that chunk of ice that didn't break and I can't get on top of it. It's like too deep on this side and I don't have any bounce and I cannot get up on top of that. And I look at my friends on the shore and I say, I'm not going to make it. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to make it. I'm going under. And this man that I don't do not know comes out into the water. He gets down to his boxer shorts and he comes down to the water 
and he breaks the ice to get to me. And he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And he says, I'm going to get the dog. I'm like, please get the dog. And he goes the rest of the way and he gets to where bird dog is. And about the time he gets to where bird dog is and frees bird dog, I'm back at the shore. And just as he grabs bird dog, I see bird dog go like this, like up, paws up in the air, like the Titanic is sinking, right? Like he's now rolling onto his back and his head is going underwater. And this guy grabs the dog just as the dog's going underwater. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so grateful. And then, so I'm looking at him and I'm looking at this man and he has my dog and he's not making, he's not making any forward progress to get back to shore. He just has the dog. And I look at his face and I know that that's the face that I just made when I could not move my body anymore. And I go back out into the water and I get all the way to him and I grab the guy and I grab my dog and the two of us with the dog kind of get back to shore. And his wife, totally in a reasonable fashion, is losing her mind. She is freaking out and she should be right. Like this is, this is a terrible situation. And so he's yelling, go start the truck, go start the truck. Um, you know, go get the car started. And so my friend Kirsten like grabs, um, my jacket and the wife, she and the wife race off. Um, the guy kind of gets his boots on. And he starts kind of stumbling back to the parking area, but I'm kind of, I'm focused on bird dog. Like he can't walk. He's so frozen from underneath that he looks like a hyena with his back legs tucked underneath and he's stumbling around. So I'm like rubbing him and rubbing him and rubbing him to get him going. And, uh, you know, come on, buddy, come on, buddy. And, and I kind of get him, he gets loosened up. He starts kind of moving around and I'm like, okay. Like, I got to get dressed. I got to get out of here. And uh, I'm sitting there on the shore and I'm having the hardest time putting my boots on. It's almost like I can't even remember how to put boots on. Like it just, I can't even remember how to put boots on. And then I'm like, okay, Katie, you have to focus. And that's when I realized I had not yet put pants on. I have forgotten the order of operations. I'm trying to put my boots on and I don't have pants on yet. So I'm like, okay, slow down, settle down. You got to think this through. I get my pants on, I get my shirt on, I get my boots on and I start walking back to the car and I get back to the truck and the truck is running. By this time, bird dog is actually like running around like a crazy wild man again, like nothing happened. Um, And so we all get loaded up. We go to my friend Kirsten's house and I'm like, okay, we are having an emergency. This is an emergency. I'm a medical provider. I know what to do. And so we get the guy in the bathtub. I boil water. I make ice pack. I make uh, hot water bottles. We get him in the bed. We tuck water bottles in all of his places. um, And he's doing good. Like he's, you know, he's like, yeah, no, I'm warm. I'm doing well. I'm comfortable. I'm not like that. And his wife is basically like, I think you should leave. Like she's super mad at me. And that's totally right like she's super mad at me and she's basically like I think you should leave and I'm like okay I'm gonna go so I get home and uh I'm like you should eat something and I was like ah but you should take a shower first you should get cleaned up first because I was covered in mud 
and I'm like cleaning up and I'm like, this is really strange. I'm cut to shit. Like the ice had cut me. It looked like someone had beat me with a switch. I'm, my legs and arms are cut to shit all across my belly and nothing is bleeding. Nothing hurts. I'm scrubbing mud out of cuts. Nothing hurts and nothing is bleeding. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is weird. Like, but I'm looking at like, I'm like, but look at, I can see all of the dermal layers, you know? And uh, so now bird dog needs to come in. Terrible place for bird. <laughs> okay. And uh, and, uh, I'm like, I'm like, okay, this is really interesting. Like, this is very interesting physiology. I've never been able to see the skin so clearly. This is very interesting. And um, so I get out of the shower and I'm like, yeah, I think I'm doing okay. Like, I think I'm doing okay. Um, You should really have something to eat. And uh, so I made myself an egg. And I sat down to eat that egg and I could not figure out how to eat the egg. I just couldn't figure out how to eat an egg. Like I'd fed the dog. I'd done all this sort of stuff. And I'm sitting there looking at this egg on the table and I had a knife and a fork and I just couldn't figure out how to eat that damn egg. I just, I couldn't do it. I was like, I don't know. This is very strange. Weird. That's an egg. I want to eat the egg but I don't know how to eat the egg. Like, I don't know how to eat this egg. Um, and so what I should have done right then is I should have dialed 911. Um, because I was severely profoundly hypothermic, but I did it. I just went to bed. I just went to bed. I pulled my bird dog up to bed with me and I went to bed and that I woke up the next morning is a miracle beyond miracles. Um, because the most dangerous part of hypothermia is not being in the water or being cold. It's when you rewarm because when the blood finally starts traveling into those limbs that weren't bleeding, which is why I wasn't bleeding, um, it comes back ice cold, right? It goes out hot. It goes through those frozen tissues and it gets cold and it comes back. And that cold blood hits your heart and you have a heart attack and you die. And that's the most dangerous part of hypothermia. Um, And so I don't know how I woke up the next day. I don't know how I woke up the next day, um, which is usually how I feel about all my escapades. Um, It had just been a long time since I'd been in that situation of like, wow, you shouldn't have made it through this, but I did. And I learned some very, very important lessons. First off, the fire department will always come for a dog in the ice. I play they hockey. Do. I play hockey with some firemen and they heard about what happened and they came over to me and they said, we practice getting, getting to there and getting people out of that ice. And we are from call to a man in the water in a dry suit, 13 minutes response time, which if we would have called right off the bat, they would have been there before I even got to the point in time where I couldn't stand watching anymore. Um, and so you should always call the fire department because dial 911, because they will always come for a dog in the water because they know that there's no one that can watch their dog ground. And so they will always come to get the dog because they know if they don't come to get a dog, they're coming to get a human later. Um, and, uh, and, and the other one is really inspect your ponds and don't go around icy places. Like I just, 
I avoid icy places. Um, I'm even kind of really nervous about duck hunting sometimes um, because of the ice. It's super, super dangerous out there and you've gotta be really careful. Um, and when you have a dog with that much drive, you never get, you never, you can never turn your back on that old wire hair. Um, you, you can't, you just can't, you can't check <laughs> out. You've always gotta be paying attention. Um, because if there's an opportunity to chase game, if there's an opportunity to fetch a bird, they're going to go for it. And, and it's at their peril. And unfortunately, because we love them so much, it's at our peril too. It's at our peril too. Um, so yeah, if it doesn't get you arrested, it might just get you killed. (laughs) Gosh. So I had no idea about the hypothermia thing that you kind of lose your reasoning. Is that what you would? Yeah. What, like, why is that? Why did you put your pants on? Why couldn't you figure out how to eat an egg? I, that's a symptom of hypothermia. So yeah, it's, there's a couple of parts of it. A, you're really cold. So your brain is not very functional. You shunt your blood to the core. Like, so you're shunting your blood to the core which is your head and your, and your abdomen and your heart. And so I think that's why when it first all happened, like, so, you know, when I was out in the water and I got like the shocking cold, um, it was like, my body was sort of unprepared for it. And so you lose this ability to really think like you lose your, your, your function because of this extreme shunting right? Like this extreme shunting, you're not really getting a lot of blood flow to a lot of places because your body is just really trying to, it's shutting down all your peripheral capillary beds. And, um, and I think what had happened is that had happened, but then I'd gotten moving a little bit and I had, you know, gotten, you know, a little, a little bit kind of a little window of clarity where I was still totally hundred percent shunted from all my limbs, but I was still getting pretty good. You know, like when, by the time we got to Kirsten's house, I was getting at least some reasonable blood flow. I knew it was a bad situation, but I think it's also this thing of like, I didn't feel bad. Like by the time that we got to Kirsten's house, I didn't feel bad. I felt fine. I actually felt warm. I, I was like, oh, wow. I really warmed up in the truck ride here. Like I felt totally warm. And, and that's that shunting, right? Like my arms and legs were so devoid of sensation, blood flow, all the rest of that sort of stuff that I couldn't feel anything. It wasn't like I was like, oh, wow, my, my chest is warm, but my arms are really cold. I, could, I didn't feel cold. I felt warm. I felt very warm. I felt very comfortable. I didn't think that I was in any sort of danger. But that's the whole thing is like the person who's the victim... <laughs> which is what I was of the near drowning, near hypothermia doesn't get to be the one that makes decisions. Like somebody else should have made those decisions for me. And what's really interesting is if I would have happened upon that scene and not been in the water, I would have been like, you two emergency department, you're going right now. Um, And what they do when they warm you up in the hospital is probably what would have happened is I would have been admitted to the ICU. They would have put giant um, needles in my thighs, in my veins, in the veins and arteries of my thighs. And they would have sucked my blood out and put it through a warmer 
so that that blood that was circulating was actually being warmed peripherally while slowly I got perfusion back to my arms and legs. Um, But that by the time that I got back to my house, that that process of like my core temperature, my body was unable to maintain that core temperature with the shunting. And it was starting like, it would be really interesting to have seen how low my basal temperature got. Um, because that's what was happening there. Like I was slowly becoming, it's like that whole, like you got a cup of hot water, you start putting ice cubes in it for a while. It's still hot, but there's a limit to how many ice cubes you can put in a cup of hot water before the water gets cold. And then once it's cold, it's cold, right? If you stop adding ice cubes, it's not like the water warms back up again. Right. So, so that, that is what was happening to me when I was like, to the point, like my overall body temperature was, I mean, I don't even want to try to guess what it was. I mean, it had to have been somewhere down around 94. Um, but, but yeah, it's like I had my, my emergency coping mechanisms were failing and, um, and yeah, I was in, I was in big trouble. I was in big trouble. Super scary, super scary. Um, and that I think actually was the last, that was the last incident. I don't think we've had any incidents since then. Um, but How I long think ago was that one that was almost exactly three years ago. Holy cow. So he was 10. Been, oh yeah. He's 10 years old. Um, he's impressive. I mean, he still does crazy ass stuff, but, um, he's just like that arthritis has caught him to the point that he can't catch stuff anymore. He can't run stuff down anymore. Um, and then I just am super, super careful around frozen water and, and just really avoid it. Uh, because you know, if you can't, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. I've got three bird dogs. There's only one of them. I actually have to have an e-collar on every time we go out (laughs) and it's not the Muppets. (laughs) Bird dog. He's 10 years old. And I, I'm not kidding you. I have to have an e-collar on him and like. I have to put electricity on him. I had to, he actually, I take that back. He tried to fucking drown this summer. <laughs> tried to drown this summer in a damn duck pond chasing after a duck um, and wouldn't come in and wouldn't come in. And I had to put heat on a 13 year old dog in a goddamn pond this summer because he <laughs> would not come in from chasing the damn duck. And he was drowning. He was like exhausted and drowning. So I take that back. We continue to have incidents. We continue to have incidents. I was going to ask earlier, like if he's just, because it's not normal that dogs can catch wild birds, right? Like it's just, it's not normal. So I was going to ask earlier if he is just really stealthy. Like I've seen dogs in duck searches, like they're super stealthy. They're very quiet. Um, Or if he was fast, but clearly he's the latter. I think it was a little bit of both. Yeah. He would, I've, he, I've, he's caught stuff stalking, like where he does get low and real catty and he sneaks up till he gets that three or four foot distance and then mm-hmm. he sprints. Um, so I think it's a combination of both. Um, it's okay. a combination. Of, like, I mean, the stuff that I have seen him do in pursuit of catching a creature, like, 
uh, we were in Billings. There's this big sandstone cliff area and we were up there and he was running on this kind of sandstone cliff band above me, like 10 or 12 feet. And I'm walking along and I kicked a rabbit out. Like I spooked a rabbit and that rabbit took off running and he didn't even break stride to come off that cliff and land on that rabbit and kill it. Wow. Like, I mean, he's probably, I bet, I bet he's killed 20 or 30 rabbits, caught and killed 20 <laughs> or 30 rabbits. It's a lot of damn rabbits and rabbits are like hard to catch. They are very hard to catch. They're super hard to catch. And he used to catch them all the time. He used to catch them all the time. Like pretty much every time we went out to that sandstone cliff band area, he'd come back with the damn rabbit. <laughs> Lucky he didn't get tularemia or didn't give, get me tularemia. <laughs> Is that, that's what rabbits have? Tularemia? Well, ra- rabbit fleas have... Rabbits don't have tularemia, but um, fleas that are on rabbits carry tularemia. And so if you get bit by a flea from a rabbit that has tularemia, you end up in the hospital on a lot of antibiotics. Yeah. Yeah. The rabbits are gross. I had a dog that killed a rabbit and it got full of fleas. And then a couple weeks later, it had tapeworms like coming out of its butt. It was terrible. Rabbits are gross. Yeah. Super gross. Well, I would like to, I think rabbit hunting would be fun, but not with yeah. my bird. Cause you can never shoot a rat, never shoot a rabbit for your bird dog. <laughs> yeah. You never shoot a rabbit for your bird dog because then they start pointing rabbits. <laughs> How difficult was it to break bird dog out? Cause I feel like he's stealthy and quick. Was it really difficult to break him? What do you mean? Break him? Like get him steady on birds. No, it was, uh, it was super easy. He's got so much natural steadiness. Um, uh, I used woe boards and fat Bob. Um, I used woe boards and fat Bob and I never put him on a barrel. Um, I used the flank collar a little bit, but then he never even really needed that. Um, he just, yeah, he's, uh, crazy. you know, he's so smart. He got it, you know, too, right. Where he was like, as soon as he stayed steady to wing shot and fall and he got to fetch a bird, it was like done. But he he's clearly like, oh. isn't steady to seagulls. No, he would be a sneak up on the seagulls, but that's the whole thing too, is like, he knows the difference between when I have a shotgun and when I don't, he does super fucked up sh- shit when I don't have a shotgun. But then as soon as I have a shotgun, he's like, Oh, well, we gotta, Oh, we gotta. We got to, we got to do stuff. We got business. We got business to attend to, you know? Um, so yeah, he's just like, oh, she doesn't have a shotgun. She's not going to shoot anything for me. I might as well catch it myself. Yeah. Yeah. Amanda said, I think, um, we need to know who fat Bob is. Amanda, are you, have you fallen behind the times? Have you not, <laughs> you haven't watched the great raccoon wars of 20, 2015. In my defense, like- I was in Mexico, Katie. I'm sorry. This is like, this is like someone who like misses two episodes of The Bachelor and just goes to the rose ceremony, <laughs> which is a reference I only know because my friend Amanda Ponte made me watch that silly show and I couldn't believe that this is television, but 
she loves it and I love her. And so I will definitely watch The Bachelor again with my friend Amanda. But it's basically like that. If you haven't watched, you know, you just have to, Amanda, you're just going to have to listen to the Great Raccoon Wars of 2010 and then you can find all about <laughs> that, Bob. Yeah. Gina just said you have to listen to that one, Amanda. You guys yeah. can come, you guys can come on if you want. <laughs> yeah. Come yeah, come join us. That's what this is about. We want you here. <laughs> So I will say uh, I hunted with Katie this last fall and we left bird dog at the bottom of the mountain in the truck. And when I got there before Katie to let him out, I took the shot collar off of my three-year-old hunting dog who is, you know, notorious for getting lost to ensure that bird dog had a shot collar on him because he cannot be trusted. (laughs) (laughs) Never turned your back on an old wire hair, man. Never, never, never. You know, you know what I feel like though? How many of these incidences could have been prevented if you had a leash on your damn dog? What the hell are you, like, who, why (laughs) do you do that? Like, why would you, like, okay. Because, because, you know, I was in, I was at Siwi in South Carolina the other weekend and every single person there, I'm telling you, like, you know, it's pet people. Okay. Every single person has a harness on their bird dog and, oh. and they're going, they're going around the convention going like this, trying to keep their dog in a harness. And like, you know, well, why are we doing if, this? If, if I was at a place like that, I would have him on a leash. That's a terrible place to have a bird dog off a leash. I'm not just going to like walk into the Southwestern Quail Expo and like unleash a wire hair. Um, but these are like, like I can't have him on a leash all the time. And I can't run or walk enough to exercise a wire hair without letting him, you know, be loose. And sure. Right now, I can't even run or walk enough to keep them <laughs> on the leash happy. Like, people are driving me crazy right now. We've, we're, we were full Muppet Madness. Full Muppet Madness. But, no, these are all, like, he doesn't, of course he doesn't get into trouble when he's on a leash. But you can't keep him on a leash all the time. And then, he's just so happy. Like, he was such a pleasure to watch run. Like, to, he was so, be- he's so beautiful. And he's so happy. And yeah. it was like a glorious thing to behold. And I think, you know, this is that thing where you get, you have to accept and love a, a person, a creature, whatever, in their wholeness. You don't get a cherry pick, right? Like, you don't get a cherry pick that, oh, I want this dog to have a tremendous amount of drive, um, but I never want it to bother my neighborhood cats. Um, and yeah, I do the best I can to keep him in line. And I'm sure that if I had paid less attention, there would be even more incidents. There would have been even more, you know, misadventures. Um, but I love him for who he is and who he is, is this wild, reckless, wholehearted, physical creature who is so happy to just stretch his legs out and I just have to accept I mean it was one of those things where 
you know, when he was about four or five and we'd had a bunch of incidences where it was just like, oh my God, I can't believe you didn't die. Like that was heartbreaking to me. I just saw you jump off a 20 foot cliff. Like I can't live like this. And then I was like, well, this is the risk of loving someone like this, right? Like this is the risk that you take when you love someone like this, because to try to break him of those habits would have been to break his very soul and Mm -hmm. to break the very most beautiful part of him. And that's not fair because I would never want someone to treat me that way. I would never want someone to say, gosh, Katie, it sure is great when you behave this way at this particular venture, but if you could not do that anywhere else, I'm like, that, that would be heartbreaking if they were like, well, Katie, when you're on a podcast, you can drink whiskey, swear and laugh too much. But when we go to Pheasant Fest, you better be a lady. Well, there you have it. We're looking forward to a great time at Pheasant Fest this weekend. Hope to see you there.